Hey, I'm Alicia Bake. I'm Jen Greenfield. And I'm Jen Tifoni. VO Booth Besties listen to the questions you have. We find pros in the know to help you learn. And connect with our amazing VO community. Welcome, Welcome to, to VO, VO Booth, Booth Besties. Besties. Welcome, everyone, to VO Booth Besties. I've been pinging people like crazy, so uh, if you don't see someone you know, ping them and invite them into the room. Like our intro said, we are here to help working voice actors get your most important question answered by industry pros who know. Each week, we'll have a new topic and a guest speaker who is an expert on that topic. You can submit your questions through our website, boothbesties.com, and we'll do our best to include them in our interview. Unfortunately, Excuse me. We are missing a bestie this week. Alicia had a prior commitment, but she is with us in spirit. A quick bit of housekeeping. In order to stay on topic and get as many of your questions answered as we can, we're going to keep hand raising turned off. However, the chat will remain open. So if any questions come to mind, pop them in there and JT will be monitoring that. Now, without further ado, let's meet our guest. Over to you, JT. Thank you, NJ. This week, we are honored to interview Scott McCarthy. With 18 years at the company, Scott McCarthy is the head of dubbing for DreamWorks Animation. Scott oversees DreamWorks dubbing for Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Peacock, as well as projects for parent company Comcast and NBC Universal across more than 30 languages worldwide. He's also the chair of the Entertainment Globalization Association's EGA Awards Committee. And he's responsible for launching the first global peer-reviewed awards program in the industry. Scott is an advocate for the localization industry and believes in a more collaborative and creative forward approach to dubbing. I can't wait to hear more about dubbing and localization at DreamWorks. Thanks, Scott. You're up, NJ. All right. Scott, are you ready? Let's jump in. <laughs> wow, that was impressive. You guys uh, are definitely professionals at this. And... <laughs> I feel like I do not have the voice to match up to you guys, but I will, I will. That's why I'm behind a desk and not behind a microphone. <laughs> Leave it to us. Well, All honestly, right. we are so very glad you're here. Oh my gosh, we've got a great uh, room of people with us. So, you know, I know you and I could fill a five hour room if someone gave us a chance, but we'll try to keep this, <laughs> be mindful <laughs> of everyone's time. So let's start easy. What is dubbing i i would say dubbing is in the most simplest way i can answer that question it's 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 bringing at least in my case it's bringing the domestic version to life in upwards of 30 plus languages okay i mean that makes sense but just for anyone who just didn't know it's kind of nice to just like let's start from you know fundamental dubbing yeah Okay, what is dubbing? So for you, to your point, when we're talking about dubbing at DreamWorks, we're actually talking about converting English-speaking films to another language, another uh, local to another country, correct? Absolutely, because there's so, I mean, dubbing, you're right. It's, you know, it's, this is where we can go on for way too long because you, you get me to go too deep on some of this and I'll, <laughs> I'll talk your head off. But it, it's there's this there's this trend and what most people are familiar with dubbing if they're you know if, if they're u.s based and they're absorbing dubs and content say on netflix or other platforms you know we're seeing a lot of stuff coming from foreign countries and being dubbed into english and we're even seeing crazy matchups where you know we are getting 
a, a source language, you know, dubbed into a, another source language going from like a Japanese to German or, you know, just random pairings that you wouldn't always think would be the case and haven't been the case, but only because of the advancements in in our industry and access to, like, although we need more access to, to quality translators when it, when it comes to the language skills that are needed for some of these, you know, you know, cross, uh, uh, you know, language dubs that are that are being requested and ordered. Um, I, I have it a little bit simpler because for my specific workflow at DreamWorks, I am simply taking a domestic English version of something and translating it into about 30 plus languages. So um, what I'm doing feels very simple compared to some of the things that are happening industry-wide, not just in things dubbing from a foreign country into English, but also some of these random pairings that we're seeing. Okay, so so these 30 different languages. So talk to us, because I know this is very important to you, and I, and I, I think it's fantastic. Explain to everyone in the group, what does localization mean? And, and why is it important to you? Why is it important to DreamWorks? I think for me, I call upon my marketing background. So I've been at DreamWorks, you know, 18 plus years now. And most of that tenure was actually doing marketing, doing publicity and promotions and consumer products and a lot of brand work. And it's only the past, you know, about eight years that I've been doing localization. And I really call upon that marketing background and apply it to what I do today. I tell my team, don't think of yourselves as a dub team. Think of yourselves as a brand team. Our job is to protect the brand of DreamWorks in all of these languages. So we are taking this vision of a filmmaker who made this English domestic version, and we have to adapt it into 30 different languages. And there's so many creative choices that go into that. And you know, we can get into deeper conversations about, you know, filmmaker involvement and what that should look like. But the, the reality is dubbing and localization has kind of been seen as like a afterthought or a post-production type file you just order. And I think if filmmakers knew like the, the liberties we have to take with their product in, in order to adapt it, to make jokes work, to make, you know, translations work and to, uh, you know, to fit within cultural requirements and the like, you know, there's just so many creative choices that are made. And, and when you're given that responsibility, either with or without filmmakers to, to take that to a market, you're, you're responsible for protecting that brand. And, you know, DreamWorks is a company that values itself and prides itself in, you know, the, the brand that it's built up over the years. So to be asked in my current role to kind of look after that in, in all these countries around the world, it, it's something I take very seriously. So just to be clear, because I just want to um, restate it, and, and this will tie into the next question I have, localization for DreamWorks is using actors, using voices in their country, their home country. Is that a good way to, to explain localization? Yeah, and... and of course, there's an exception and caveat to, right. to all of this, okay. but I think that our approach and the DreamWorks approach, and, 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 and many major studios take this as well, which you really have to lean on the local countries. You know, right. you, language is, is, I always describe language as being evolving. And if you are bilingual and you come from another country and you, you, know, you, you bring that language with you to the States, you know, you're, 
and you now live here, your language in some ways is frozen in time. Because if you're not living in that country where you came from, you're not adapting to all the changes that are happening, all the new slang, all the new terms, all it's just, it's that language is constantly evolving. And you really have to have someone in the market doing the, the adaptation opposed to kind of hiring translators and voice actors here in the States to bring an international version to life for the simple fact that you want to honor the language and culture that you're trying to take that product to. Okay. So one of the, well, the main mission um, that VOBB really focused on is being very honest and clear and concise with members because we just get, there's of course, Welcome to the internet. Yeah, I mean, you can Google anything and get any kind of answer. But what we want to do is in here, when we're talking about voiceover, when we're talking about dubbing with DreamWorks, like I want to be very clear and and for people to not kind of feel like there's that dangling carrot. When DreamWorks animation dubs a film and they're using localization, it's not the same as being bilingual. Like I just want to kind of reiterate that. it's It's not that you could just you know, go down, you could go to your talent roster of people in LA and be like, oh, they speak Portuguese and we want to do that. That's not what we're doing here. That's not what DreamWorks is doing. I, I, I well, let me answer that by giving you one really big uh, and recent exception, okay. um, which is Antonio Banderas. So I, <laughs> we just had a Puss in Boots movie come out. I don't oversee the dubbing on that feature. Let me just say that okay. first and foremost, but because um, that's handled by Universal, NBC Universal owns DreamWorks Animation, um, and that goes through the feature division at Universal. However, I mean we've dubbed Shrek and Puss in Boots going back decades now, and you know Antonio Banderas does the Spanish versions as well as the Italian versions, and wow. a lot of that is because he, you know. Uh, he is still very, um, I don't say, I don't say, I don't want to say, I don't know if embedded is the right word, but he, he is still connected to those cultures and to, you know, um, those languages. And because of the star power that he brings to a, a property like that, you know, that's definitely an exception that we, we've made. Um, but for the work that I oversee and the work we've done recently with a lot of our television series, like for Netflix and, um, and Peacock and Hulu and Amazon and the like, um, we really do rely on on those people and, and talent and translators that are located in the country. There's a lot of times people will hear about what I do and they'll think, okay, you know, I, I work in Los Angeles. Um, there's studios, recording studios all across Los Angeles, and there's you know Latin Spanish speakers are you know there's tons of amazing Latin Spanish speakers and talent here in Los Angeles. Um, there's some uh, studios that do Latin Spanish dubbing in Miami as well. And I think one of the questions I honestly get asked a lot is, oh, do you record the Latin versions in, in L.A. or Miami? And, you know, we specifically go to Mexico City because we want to go. One, there's a whole other conversation we have about, you know, right. um, neutral Spanish and, you know, how, you know, trying to be far reaching and reach the most people across Latin America. But, um, you, you know, and there's going to be certain products where if if that you know, if that product is based in a certain country in Latin America, you're going to go to that country. But generally speaking, a, a standard kind of dub that that you need Latin Spanish on, 
we're going to go to Mexico City because that's a huge market for recording and specifically for that language. And it's people and talent and contributors that are living and breathing that evolving language as it as it's growing. I love that. I mean, I, I think that's remarkable. I really do. Um, so let's keep going. Uh, one of the topics, <laughs> everyone's going to chuckle uh, because it's in every Facebook group um, has anything to do with voiceover. Uh, one of the things that is near and dear to the U.S. voice actors' hearts are rates. Now, obviously, not every country you work with over 30 is going to have a rate system anything like ours. So can you speak to how, one, I know rates, you paying fairly is very important to you, but also can you talk about how the rate system works in other countries, how the buyout thing, kind of the, the pros and cons of that? No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> right, thanks for showing up, folks. We'll see you later. <laughs> I, I think I think the honest answer why I can speak to that is because that's another area where we rely on the studios that we partner with in those countries. Um, we I don't do any recordings here in the in the states, so I don't work with SAG in any in any way. Right. Um, and I'm taking my version, you know, I'm taking that domestic version and taking it to these, you know, thirty plus markets, thirty different countries that all have different unions, all have different requirements, all have different things that, you know, to try to keep up on the constant changing renegotiations, where things are at, where, you know, it's, and, and you always want to honor the latest and greatest rates and, and where, right. where unions are, are, are advocating for, you know, the, the, the rights and the pay of, of their members. But, it, you know, we have to, you know, we, we're working in just, every part of the globe and we have to rely on our partner studios to keep us up to date on or they have to stay up to date on making sure that they're in compliance um you I don't think. want you don't want me behind a desk in la trying to dictate a rate sheet in all these countries that i'm not equipped or have the bandwidth or the staff to truly stay on top of in the way that's going to take care and 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 respect the, the the talent that are that are coming in to do this work so let me re um, let me restate it. So you so when you uh, there you go to Mexico City, you would say here is the film, and they would tell you here is what our rate system is. Here is what we pay our actors, and then you would uh, then you agree to that because you're supporting their existing rate system. You're not trying to negotiate it or like real get into that. But I mean, for the most part, you're trying to support whatever that local talent has agreed upon. With, with the exception, if we put in a star talent or we right. have a budget or marketing gives us a budget for some star talent to come in, you know, with okay. the exception of that, I really don't see the rates because they're built into the, what I see is like an episodic rate. So we're going to negotiate with the studio for, you know, maybe some song rates for certain categories, like this is what a chorus and a trio or a solo is going to cost. This is what your base episodic rate is going to be. And all the actual rates themselves, what actually makes its way to the talent, to the to the actors behind the mic, is really rates that are negotiated and 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 handled by the dub studio that I partner with. And and we we rely on them in that way. And I don't have visibility to what those are. I know that they're built into the rates I pay, but the directive okay. that I give, and this is a given on every project, is that any rate you give me for an episodic work, 
um, or a feature, whatever the case may be, um, you have to make sure that you are paying all the latest and greatest union standard rates. Like there, you know, there there should be no cutting corners in in any kind of project that I that I place with a studio in any country that we work. That's excellent. I think that's excellent. Uh, okay, so we spoke previously about the impact the pandemic had on the voiceover industry, and you brought up a couple interesting things to me that absolutely did cr not cross my mind um, when everyone, you know, had to, now you're trying to manage projects overseas and everyone's in a home studio. Can you kind of tell us <laughs> what that looked like for you on your end? Yeah, it's funny before the pandemic, you know, you'd always have, you know, pre-pandemic, you would have actors traveling and they're, you know, but you have a pickup line you need to do and the actor's not available to come to the studio and, you know, but they, they, they the studio would say like, oh, but they're traveling, they could do it from their hotel room or they can, they can set up a, their computer at wherever they're at. And, and I would always be like, absolutely no, like, no, there's, there's no way you can get the same level of quality. You can't, you can't protect the content. There's too many security liabilities. I was just adamantly against it. And then with the pandemic, we realized that we would have no content if we, you know, <laughs> you know, drew that same line in the sand. So um, we had to be open for it to it. And, and the pandemic allowed us to test that out at a scale and level we normally would never, or at least for myself, I would never have been comfortable with. And, you know, a silver lining to, you know, this horrible pandemic that we went through. And I don't want to take anything away from what we've all experienced the past three years, but, you know, one aspect or one silver lining you could say about it is at least specific to our, our work here is it showed me that you can obtain the same level of quality with the setups that so many of these, these talent have in, in their homes and the like. You can send out content and have it done securely without, we, we didn't have on DreamWorks, you know, we didn't have a, a single security leak or a single clip that was leaked online or anything of that nature during the entire pandemic. So all these arguments I was saying of like, you have to be in like a brick and mortar studio all of those were thrown out the window and 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 it's only because the pandemic forced us to truly test it out at a at a major level at a major scale and, and volume and it was successful and now now when i place an order with a dub studio they'll say to me like oh well this actor is going to be they love to come in studio this actor is going to do their lines from in home and honestly i tell them i don't care you know what you <laughs> you know the quality i expect you've proven that you can get me that quality in many different ways through many different types of setups you know as long as you can deliver it safely and and deliver upon that quality how you get there i'm i'm going to i'm going to trust you and in, in you the studio that i've hired to 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 deliver upon that however however works best for your contributors and your talent okay um so let's keep going with that frame of mind, though home studios have somewhat become of a norm, though in major markets, I will caveat, are you seeing more back to in-studio recording for major projects in major markets? That's a great point. And I'm, just, and I'm glad you brought up that, that, that very topic because there are, you're, you're not just, you're not just dealing with 
workarounds when it comes to, you know, what we've been through the pandemic or just, you know, trying to make, trying to be more accommodating uh, as an industry to, to voice talent and being open to, to, to recording those voices wherever they may be. But sometimes you're competing against uh, a long history of dubbing that, um, you know, you look at like a, a, a France or an Italy or Germany, like there's so much traditions when it comes to the dubbing, like the, those actors, actually, they don't want, they want to be in studio. They want that collaboration of in the room with the director, with the engineers, with the, the, the you know, the, the, the adapters. And, and, and like France is a great example where they, during the pandemic, the dubbing industry was, deemed an essential service and so while everyone was not while all these other um, industries outside of say medical and and in this case dubbing as well they they were told you had to work from home because dubbing was considered an essential service because you were providing content for people that are you can't tell people to stay at home and then not provide them and provide for them and their families in that way you know you you have to make sure they can put food on their tables you have to make sure they can you know you know, stay stay sane as best as we can. We've all lived through this, the most unspeakable three years. And, you know, to try to do that without having content as well, especially if you have kids and the like, it's, uh, you know, I, I applauded markets like France who kind of looked at our industry in that way. It was kind of a, a real, um, I don't know, it was, a, it was a real kind of outside the box way of, of approaching what we do. But I think it was, I don't know, I think they just put a lot of value in, what we deliver to 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 consumers so again with that same train of thought you know it, it it's interesting because again we've talked about this that i of course in the united states we are just overwhelmed with content and this to me your conversation is a friendly reminder that other countries don't have near the content that we do and that that's why dubbing is a thing but yet it's still kind of getting there in the u.s and i'm curious you know what your thoughts are on you know kind of why dubbing isn't like it's just not taking hold necessarily so again we're talking for those in the audience we're talking about taking foreign films and having them dubbed into english and we're hearing in the industry and panels at conferences you know that dubbing is getting more traction but just as a whole, there doesn't seem to just be a huge call for it the way it is in other countries. No, you're 100% correct. We don't have, mo most countries don't have the access to the amount of content that we have um, in the States. Like I joke with my own family, you know, and my wife and my kids. It's like I, we we have one uh we have one, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, you know, a streaming platform, which is Netflix. And, you know, I'm not getting, I'm missing out on some great shows across Apple and Amazon and Hulu and, and the like. But, you know, I always tell my, my wife, my kids, like, if we run out of content to watch on Netflix, like, we're, we have bigger problems, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and the reality is a lot of countries, they just, they don't have access to the amount and the number of platforms that we have. And, and so dubbing is more prevalent in these countries because they need content from other countries and have it localized into their language in order to give the same uh, kind of access to 
to volume that we have in the States, where in the States we haven't had to rely on outside content coming in. And, that, and that's an, an unfortunate thing because there's incredible content and stories and filmmaking that's happening outside of the United States, but we just, we don't tap into it just because there's so much at our fingertips as it is. So, but I think as with, with what we've seen with Squid Games and a lot of the work that Netflix has been doing, they're really kind of, I think, expanding U.S. audiences' minds and opening, opening them up to, to taking in content that they normally would not because, in large part, dubbing has made leaps and bounds when it comes to how it's adapted and the timing and the lip sync. Um, but there's still this, this element of just something feels off when you're watching a dub because of that lip sync, especially with live action. And I think this kind of gets to what you were speaking to, Jen, which is when when you grew up and you're familiar with dub content, your your brain is trained to kind of accept it. You you don't look at it as something that feels off. You just accept it because you've grown up watching content that's been dubbed. But as this is a new process for the U.S. market, it's something that we've really got to, you know, we need more Squid Games and more like great stories and 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 foreign content that will allow U.S. audiences to be open to it because we have to train our brains to watch a dub, unfortunately. It's, there's, there's just these anomalies of lip sync that you can never get it perfect without AI. Okay, so perfect transition before our halfway mark. So before everyone freaks out when we bring up the dreaded two letters of AI, um, this is actually fascinating, guys. Um, Scott shared with me a couple really interesting things about the idea of a using AI to manipulate lip flaps. Now we're talking about animation um, specifically, but first of all, Scott, can you explain what are lip flaps for those who might not know? I mean, just with like the timing of the sync and what we do when it comes to dubbing. Just what is or, it? No, I mean, like if I say lip flaps, that sounds kind of like. Um, lingo for dubbing so what is it yeah so i think when when we are dubbing us when we are dubbing something we are taking we're creating a time script so we you know when you're a translator and you're gonna you're gonna translate a given line you know the minute you know the second marks that the the lips start moving in the in the domestic version until the to when the lips stop moving and you know you have to adapt that line within that time frame. Yep. And it's not going to be you know when, when the best we can do with dubbing with the technology as it stands right now and, and, and what what content creators can afford is you you rely on that timing to make sure that the translation starts when the lips start moving and it's and the translation or the sentence stops when the lips stop moving. And there's going to be all this movement in between that that's part of that anomaly I was talking about that just mm -hmm. It's timed right, but it just feels a little off. And so, where we're kind of going with with AI, and I and, and it's a you're right. It's I don't want to open up a can of worms because I don't think of AI as as I'm I'm, I'm I don't believe in it as as far as synthetic voices and replacing voices. I look at it as tools that can help bring to the screen what we're trying to do, expand what we're trying to do. But it I. I I'm going a different path than say the synthetic voices where you see all the, the media attention really focused on. For me, where I get excited about AI in my part of the world of dubbing is 
trying to, or not trying, using technology that uh, almost reanimates the lips to mirror the voice, the foreign voice that's dubbed over it. So when you're watching it, it actually feels like that actor is speaking Italian or German or any language or bringing it to, even though the original lips are moving to an English voice. Yeah, that, yeah, that's very cool. Tell everyone the, the challenge you had with uh, Kung Fu Panda 3. Yeah, I mean, Kung Fu Panda 3 was something where we actually did a, it was a, it was a co-production with, um, we had a company set up in China and it was a Chinese company. It was partnered with DreamWorks Animation and it, it was, it was, this, it was a co-production in that sense. And so we were able to work with them to create a Chinese Mandarin version of Kung Fu Panda, which is, you know, the, the heart of that movie is, is centered in, in the culture, in Chinese culture and lore. And to, to, again, to honor that, you know, the, you know our, our job is to honor any language that we bring a, a, a dub to. So it was really exciting because we were able to actually do a dub that all the lips for Kung Fu Panda were reanimated Gosh. to match the, the voiceover work done in China. Um, it was the only market where that was done, where everywhere else it was a, a traditional dub. Um, but that was the first time i think for dreamworks at a really you know big budget major way that we you know adapted we truly did a full adaptation of of a dub that's yeah that's wild that's why but but it but, it, but it's caught you you can't do it you know we could only do it being dreamworks because it was our animation files so you could open those right. up and the people that you know do animation and understand you know computers way above my head like they could more easily reanimate the lips because it was all part of this the same software and stuff that's animated on but uh, you know when you're when you're taking something that's like uh you know a live action component or a live action property and you're you're dubbing it into german and then you're trying to you know, you have, then you have to have a technology that goes in and, and reanimates the lips, a live action lip movement. I mean, that's a whole nother, it, it's possible. And we've seen, I've seen examples where it, it, it looks fantastic, but it's not at a scale or the technology is not advanced yet to where I think we'll see it rolled out in a wide way. But I think to really have dubbing and foreign content, dub foreign content take off in the US, at, at the likes of like, I keep using Squid Games because it's probably the, the biggest we've seen a dub, you know, take off in our market, in the US market. To, to see more things like that, one of two things has to happen. You either have to train US audiences to just, you know, go with the anomalies of lips feeling a little off when you watch a dub, or you've got to have technology applied that helps seamlessly make that voice sound like it's coming from that actor. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Just like that. We've made it. <laughs> we've yep. made it a half hour. Wow. So let's do a quick room reset. If you've just joined us, we are VO Booth Besties. Our goal is to help working voice actors get their most important questions answered by industry pros who know. Today, we're joined by Scott McCarthy, who's head of dubbing at DreamWorks Animation. Uh, thanks everyone down below for joining us. Uh, so, hey, I, JT, I know you've, there's been a lot of chatter happening in the chat, so I want to turn it over to you and let's see if we can um, get some more questions answered. 
I have a ton of questions. Um, if you want to continue to monitor the chat and um, we'll go through these and see if we have time for any more. Um, okay, so JD asked earlier, uh, as a dubbing pro, how do I connect with your organization? You know, that's a question I, first of all, hi, JD. It's weird. It's weird to do this, and it's like all audio. I think that was the first question I had for Jen. I'm like, is this on video? And she's like, no, it's all audio. <laughs> so wh whoever you are, JD, it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, I do get that question a lot, and I and I wish I had a way to 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 kind of to help in that way to kind of to kind of you know tell you exactly how to get involved in in dubbing at let's say a voice actor level, but because i have i partner with these studios in all the foreign countries and i rely so heavily on them you know they are deciding who they bring in to record they have their own pools of actors they work with um there's a some of them have like dubbing academies that are set up to to try to find talent sometimes they partner with um uh, you know they're in market that has a huge theatrical like a stage theatrical market and so they really work with theater companies to bring voice actors in Every country feels like they have their different a different pool of actors that they work with and how they obtain that talent. Um, and we rely on them. I mean, for for the major characters for a DreamWorks show, my team is 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 approving the final voice. Well, we will we'll identify, for example, for a, for a television series we do a lot of work I do is for Netflix. We'll identify, say, eight characters. We we, we want to have final approval of that character in all the markets. You know, we don't speak the language, but we're 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 listening for the voice print. We're listening for performance. You can tell a performance even if you don't. You can tell a good performance even if you don't speak the language. And and we're and, and that voice print is so integral to the brand. And, and the filmmakers chose that voice print for a specific reason. So we want to make sure that we're we're honoring those choices. So we will pick from you know three different uh, voice tests that the studio puts forward to us. But we don't have any say necessarily of who they pull from to get to those top three. Um, I just have three that ultimately are put in front of my team and then we make the final selection or we'll sometimes ask for a recast or to go get another three actors or, or sometimes it's, you know, this actor's really close, but I'd love to hear, you know, this performer try it a different way to see if they can really, you know, uh, nail the part. Um, but but again, it, it really goes back to, to leaning heavily on our, our studios in the market for for who is actually you know, what, how they pull from that pool of actors. That is fascinating. And it kind of touches on a question that Dana had. Um, she wondered if the actors had followings in their home countries. So I, I understand the, the VO market isn't the same as it is here necessarily, but, you know, are, do you find that there are like top names that you see on regular, on a regular basis when you do the dubs in other countries? Like social yeah. media, you mean? Like they're popular on social media? Um, well, I, I can, let me take one stab at answering that. And then we do see, and it's different for every every country, but generally speaking, there's most countries have such an established pool of actors that they work with that, you know, you do find the same names kind of popping up. Like I have multiple actors where, you know, that name shows up on our cast list in across many different series. Um, and, and I try to intentionally, or for that reason, kind of spread out 
who we partner with when it comes to dub studios. I typically will work with two or three different studios in every single market around the world, in large part because it just, you know, it's a way to, I don't know, there's just, there's some, there's some great studios out there and some have strengths when it comes to, you know, say a sing, a show with its, its tons of songs. Others have strengths in other areas of dubbing. So I'm sometimes looking for different things, but it also, it also gives me more access to different pools of actors because every studio kind of has their own, you know, their own database of, of people they call on. Okay. Um, I personally am fascinated by the translation process. Is it up to the other studio, the the studio in the other country, to to do the translation and make sure it's as accurate and um, regionally acceptable as it can Absol be? Absolutely. Like we have to, we have to rely heavily on. I mean, we're 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 hiring these dub studios that are based in these countries to kind of be a represent we're asking them to be our representation for their market you know again they're they're kind of carrying that 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 same level of brand protection and responsibility that that my team carries we're asking them to to carry that same torch and there's there's things that i can't approve when it comes to translations because i don't live in that market i don't live and breathe the language and the culture right but we do ask for certain translations to come back to us that we will approve. We will sign off on a title translation and, and certain character names or certain iconic phrases that are going to be so integral to that to that property. And again, we may not understand what that means exactly, but we will ask for a back translation to English. Okay. And we want to make sure that they understand the intent of that line or the intent of that title treatment. And I think that's the thing that especially in dubbing that people don't always appreciate is there's so much subjectivity that goes into translations. You know, it's, it's just, it's such a creative subjective part of our workflow that most people that aren't in this industry think like, Oh, you have a sentence, you can translate it one way. Like how hard is that? It's like, Oh my gosh, right. every, not just every sentence, but every word can be translated countless different ways. And then how you put it all together. And then on top of that, how you sync it to the timing constraints. Like it's just the most creative, impressive, crazy part of our, our workflow. I mean, I mean, you could say that about, you know, obviously from the voice actors to the translators, to the engineers, to the mixers, like, it's just, I'm, I'm always in awe when I see the work goes into every level of this process. Yeah. And I mean, some things just don't translate well into yeah. another country. Yeah. And and that's where <laughs> so. I, that's, that's where I'm always pushing, you know, being an in-house dub team at DreamWorks, I have this connection where I can reach out to the filmmakers. And, and a lot of times what I'm doing is I'm trying to bring them into the process. Like I, I want them involved and, and there's this, there's this history where people or filmmakers are always like, yeah, just you guys go localize it. And it's like, I want to go to them and say like, and I do go to them and I say like, if you, you need to know like the, 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 the uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, we, the, the liberties we have to take with adapting this because this joke that you wrote only works for a U.S. audience. It's only relevant and known in the U.S. So right. we've got to completely change that joke. You were completely changing your script and the intent of that scene or that line in order to adapt it for a given country. And, and I think when filmmakers realize the, the, the types of creative decisions that have to go into adapting their content, all of a sudden they're like, 
oh, I would like to be involved. And, and we encourage that. We love that. But I, there's this educational component that we're missing in our industry for people just to really understand what dubbing is and what goes into it. Yeah. Now, do you organize dubbing for other studios or is it specifically, you know, if somebody came to you and said, you do this amazing thing, how do we do it for we, our studio? I mean, I think we stay within the, the umbrella of our parent company, NBC Universal. Um, I will sometimes translate or, or dub, localize some projects for, um, you know, whether it's Comcast or NBCU or, you know, you know, Universal, we've done some like home video work for them. So um, it, we, we've done content even beyond DreamWorks, but it's all kind of within that, that, that parent company family. Okay. Um, let me see. Carlos had a few questions and I'm going to try and tie them together to, to kind of keep it one thing. Um, he's from Colombia, and he said when he visits Mexico, if there's a Mexican movie with a Spanish dub, it's very evident that it's not the right sound for that. Um, so he wants to know how many versions of one picture would be recorded in Spanish with different Spanish accents in Mexico. This is where I wish I had Will Brown Hernandez, who is our head of creative and oversees all of our casting decisions on uh, on my team. But uh, you know, unfortunately, the the norm is a a, a, a Latin Spanish sound, a, a neutral Spanish sound that's going to be as far reaching as possible because the the reality is for most companies, you've got a budget for one version of that language um, per region. And for a diverse, for a diverse region like Latin America, you know, it, with, with except, I mean, Brazilian Portuguese, we, there's a separate version always for that. But when you, when you look at, when you look at all the Latin cultures and all the different dialects and all the ways that you should be truly honoring that language or that that you really that language you, you you we unfortunately go with a neutral Spanish for most properties, with the exception of when the content asks for a local version that's truly recorded in the country where the 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 content is focused on. And Encanto is a you know from Disney is a great example. Mm -hmm. Like they made sure that that was that was not done in Mexico City intentionally because if you did it there, you wouldn't be honoring the culture that 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 film was celebrating. So if, if the content calls for it, we absolutely go to where, to the dialect and to where the language needs to be recorded. But, you know, unfortunately with budgets and what, what really studios and content creators can afford, you, you, you have to kind of go with one language version that can reach the most people. Okay. And then. And I hope that answered your question, Carlos. It's, it's something <laughs> where I, I wish, I wish we could do, so much more especially i mean latin latin spanish is such a great example of like there's there's it's not one where you should you know it shouldn't be a one-size-fits-all but uh um we're, we're kind of fighting some norms and and industry standards that uh you know hopefully we can make some headway with in the future um and then to follow that up he also said so localization will prevent any foreign language u.s resident um voice actors won't have the chance to dub for you here in their home language. 
for for the students that we partner with and the stuff that I oversee, like we yeah, we go we go to the market, um, we go to the individual countries and partner with studios locally. Um, but that is not to say that that's the only opportunity. There is, as I mentioned, I was talking about the, at the at the start. There's you know there's you know, staying with Latin Spanish, like there are Latin Spanish dubbings that are happening in LA. There's, there's, there's some great studios out of Miami. There's, you know, there's, and, 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 that, and, and even other, either other, you know, other languages as well. So um, there is local, you know, dubs and opportunities to dub in, in, a, in a language outside of English, you know, that's still working here within the States. Um, it's not something that I, overseas so in in that way so i i can't advise on it but um i know those opportunities are there cool thank you um tara lynn asked do you mostly work with english content and translate it into other languages or do you have work coming from other countries that you're also dubbing into english no it's a great question and for me for 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 dreamworks because we are a u.s production company we're creating everything here at our Glendale facility, um, you know, uh, certainly on the theatrical side, we, we do partner with some animation studios around the world on television side, but um, I mean, we're creating a, a US version just because we're a, a US company. Um, so everything we're doing is, is made for a domestic market here in the States. And then it's, it's localizing the languages from there. Uh, DreamWorks itself doesn't go and license other animation necessarily and, and then bring it to a US market. Um, but there's a lot of that that happens at our parent company where, you know, they will, you know, uh, you know NBC is a much larger company that, that owns DreamWorks and, and they, they have, you know, they've got to populate a, a Peacock uh, streaming service as well. And, and they've, they're, they're licensing stuff. And there's a lot of, and within my parent company, there's a lot of, you know, crossover beyond just going from English to a foreign language. Okay. Um, Rebecca wants to know, we're going back to um, when you were talking about working with other unions in other countries and, uh, you know, the pay scales and such. She wants to know why not work with SAG? Just because I don't do any recordings here in the States. Okay. Makes I think sense. it's as, yeah, I think it's as simple. I mean, but we are working with the SAG equivalent in every country we go to. Um, you know, everything, everything we do, we are, again, we're giving that directive that you need to be following every standard rate that, that the unions, you know, require and that is in compliance with all the standard rates that, uh, that, are, that are established. Okay, and I've got one more from Shamika. I know people are trying to get voice actors that match a character's race, but can people of color voice white characters now? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's about, I mean, representation is so important in everything we do. Um, and I think it's about using casting decisions respectfully and you're you first and foremost want to honor the what is on screen and the intent of 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 the story and the characters and using using your cast and using language and using dialects you have so many tools to honor and respect the content and i think it's i, I think there's no 
there's no set rule, if that makes sense. And mm -hmm. I think that if anything, we have gotten to a place where, you know, we are using so many tools to bring representation to what we do. And I think it's going to be this evolving thing that we are constantly making sure that uh, we are, we, it's properly represented. All right, NJ, um, we've got about 10 minutes left. Do you have any new questions from the chat? No, I think um, this is, we can kind of do some tie-up questions here. So can you tell us quickly about, well, not quickly, take your time. We're in a hurry. <laughs> this has been amazing. <laughs> um, the Entertainment Globalization Association, um, what it is, and then this award ceremony that you're the chair for. Yeah, so the, the EGA is, uh, you know, it's a, it's an association for our industry. Um, there's a couple others like it, but um, I've been involved with the EGA. I was I was uh, the vice president for for a, a one term, and then um, I stayed on as uh, uh, chair of this awards committee. And we're bringing the first localization awards um, to our industry. That's uh, going to be, you know. How do I say this? Like, it's not, it's not the first in the sense that every a lot of the major countries have their own localization or dubbing awards, and where they honor that that, that you know our industry, this craft. Um, but there's not necessarily something that is hosted here, you know, from Los Angeles that is honoring all languages. So you can actually, you know, it's not just a German dubbing awards. They have a really great prominent one over there. Um, called the Synchronies, but you know what? What we're trying to do with the Hermes Awards, the, the name of our show, um, is you will actually have a best performance, and you'd have a Japanese, you know, going up against a, you know, a Latin Spanish versus you know up against a nominee that's from you know Romania, and you know it's like it's 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 incredible to see the the breadth of countries that are represented in represented in, in every category from performance to mixing to audio descriptions. Um, yeah, so we're, I'm excited about that. It's the first time we're, we're pulling it off. We, we haven't pulled it off yet. So talk to me again after March 30th when the award <laughs> show actually uh, goes out. Um, but we just wrapped up the submission window. We're in the reduction voting process right now. So we're, we're doing the final reduction from all the submissions down to the final five nominees per category. It'll go to the EGA membership for a final vote uh, beginning of February. And then we'll have our award show at the end of March, on March 30th. And um, it's just been, sometimes it's felt like my full-time job trying to get this thing off the ground, but I'm really excited about it. And I think it's a way that we can, you know, honor our industry and, and to do it in a, in a truly international way. And what makes it unique is that, and you had mentioned this to me and I thought it was actually a really fantastic point is that dubbing is often viewed as post-production. Is that accurate? Yeah. And I, I think for me, it's just part of what, the work I want to do just to kind of advocate for our industry and to right. educate our industry about what we do and the importance of dubbing and, you know, uh, dubbing has always been, I think the worst thing that's happened to dubbing is that it's been grouped in with post-production because it's not really post-production, but right. it's also not production. It's this bridge that kind of connects the two. Um, but when you treat it as just a, a post-production element, it seems like a, 
you know, it's a box you check to say like, oh, I just, I'll take this language, this language, and this language, I'll take some English closed captions and throw some audio descriptions on there. And it's this, this menu ordering way of doing it. And it's, it, it needs to be seen as something where there's an art to it and there's a craft and there's, there's just, it's, it's, it's something that needs to be celebrated. Seen. <laughs> celebrated. Yeah. That's the perfect sure. way to say it. And yeah. so I think that's what this award show is trying to do. Wow, that's fantastic. So do you have any advice, if you can, for voice actors as they navigate their career or maybe, you know, just maybe some mentoring advice? You are in the thick of it. You're in L.A. You're at one of the hottest animation studios. Yeah, I know. I would go back to uh, I'm going to bring up bring up a post that you put out on social media, Jen, which was uh, your Just Ask post. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, I mean, we're connected. I'm talking with you guys today because of the simple fact that you reached out to me and just had some questions and we, we connected and, and it, and I think most people are sometimes afraid just to reach out and ask. And I try my best to get back to everyone who reaches out to me and it's, it's, you know, I'm not always great at it, but I try my best. Um, and, and you, I don't know, you just need to put yourself out there. And I think, the difference is, or the caveat to that is, you can't come at it from a place of, I'm trying to get work from you. If it, it really needs to come at it about making a connection, because the work will come with the more connections that you make. So if, if you reach out to someone without this feeling of, you know, I want something from you, they're gonna, you'll be surprised how many people will open their doors to you. And I, I think that, uh, that is a, a, a tool that a lot of people don't utilize, and I wish more people would, and I think it's the, the best thing you can do for your career. And, and, and you gotta remember, I think we've joked about this, Jen, it's like, especially with people in LA, it's like, the, the reality is people in LA love to talk about themselves. So if you just ask to say, will you just tell me your story? How did you reach your, your you know, this point in your career? How did you get point from point A to point B? Like they, they're almost always willing to, to tell you their story, but you've got to approach it in the right way. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, guys, everyone below, please take note. And so when you see my post going, come on, be brave. Just ask. Just can make the connection. You know, this is how Scott and I met, and and we've already built a friendship. And and again, in all networking and all relationships, you go into it without expectation. Don't go into it expecting a reward or, like he said, an immediate job. So I that was perfect. JT, I'm going to send it over to you. The last little bit. All right. Thank you so much. Scott, we are thrilled that you were here. And oh my goodness, I know so much more than I did. And I also feel like there's so much I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, before we let you go, we like to ask our guests three for fun questions, kind of James Lipton style. So Scott, our first question is, what singer, band, or composer are you enjoying most right now? I would say uh, an artist by the name of Citizen Cope. Um, okay. He, he is the first kind of singer songwriter or like musician I went to see once the, you know, the world kind of started to open up again after the pandemic or, or we started to live with it. So um, it was the first concert I went to. He's someone I've been a big fan of 
going back decades now. And it's what I love about him is he's just got this breadth of influences from blues to rock to to reggae to even like a country. So a, a little tip for people that are interested in learning about him. He's He's perfect to plug in when you are on Pandora or you're trying to create like an Apple Music station where you just like, you know, pick an artist and they do a collection of, of songs based on that artist. Yeah. You put him in there. He's got so many different influences that he gives you the most unique variety of music in a channel. And so, you know, I think he's great for people to just, you know, take in on his own because he's just incredible. But um, to also... Uh, to, to also use him to, to build a, a Pandora-like station is also a, a trick I love to utilize. Very cool. I'm going to have to check that out because I hate when my stations just start sounding the same. Yes. All right. Our second question is, what podcast have you been listening to lately? I would say my favorite podcast would be uh, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Nice. <laughs> <I love> that. <laughs> That's fun. And our final question is, what is your favorite dessert? My favorite dessert would be cake, any type of cake, really. Um, I, have, I have two daughters at home, and so luckily I have people that will, that will help me eat cake now. But for the <laughs> longest time, my wife does not like cake. She hates it. And I don't, don't get me started. I don't know why it's weird, but she doesn't like it. Um, so people used to give me a cake or if I get something for my birthday and then I'd be the only one eating it. And it's just, and I have this, like this, this thing about throwing out food. So I just, I would eat the whole thing and it's not good. So I'm actually happy. I have these two daughters that, uh, help me with that now. Nice. Oh my God. I'm dying. Cause, and, cause I love angel food cake. And nobody in my family and no, none of, I've got two kids and a husband and they don't like angel food cake. And so I end up, I'm the same way as guy. I end up making whatever my kids want to eat. And I'm like, Oh, happy birthday to me. We'll eat your <laughs> cake, you know? Cause yeah, otherwise <laughs> I'm like in there, like trying to work my way through an entire cake. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. That was awesome. So guys, as a reminder, VOBB, we're here to educate. Um, and I think Scott is a fantastic speaker and we are so appreciative you are here because again, we get a lot of misinformation in the industry or maybe just not quite the whole truth. And, and so when we're literally hearing from someone who dubs, who is head of dubbing at DreamWorks Animation, we're cutting through the noise. We're giving you the answers you want. And with that being said, it shouldn't have to be said, but Scott is not a casting director, so his focus is on localization. Sending him your demo will be poor form. So please, please don't do it. It sounds like Scott is open to connecting with you, maybe on LinkedIn, but guys, let's use our VO etiquette. Uh, thanks again, Scott, for joining us and everyone in the audience below, thank you. It was so great that you were here. So, you guys, we want to be mindful of your time. Thanks again for joining us. Next week, we will have Deborah Sperling, who is a voice actor and coach, discussing authenticity. Let's try that again. I speak for a living. Authenticity in voiceover. Head over to boothbesties.com and you could submit your questions there um, for us to include them in the interview. And to keep the conversation going, as usual, connect with us on LinkedIn and VOBB on Facebook and Instagram. 
And I think that's it. Thank you all so much. Have a great night. Thank you guys for coming. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of VO Booth Besties. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Well, pretty much anywhere they're playing podcasts. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook so we can keep the conversation going. VO Booth Besties. Yeah, it's a thing. thing.